0: Welcome to the Leadership Window Podcast with Dr. Patrick Jinks. Each week through a social sector lens, Patrick interviews leaders and experts
1: and puts us in touch with trends and tips for leading effectively. Patrick is an LSI certified leadership coach, a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, a best-selling author, award-winning photographer, and a professional speaker. And now here's Dr. Patrick Jinks. Hello leaders, welcome to the Leadership Window. I am Dr. Patrick Jinx, glad to have you along. This is another one of those wonderful episodes and we've got our partner, Mr. Ron Harvey along with us today. Ron heads up the uh, Global Core Strategies and Consulting based out of Columbia, South Carolina, my hometown. He's on our advisory board at the leadership window. Uh, He's an MBA. He's a John Maxwell certified coach. He's a trainer. He's a coach. He's a consultant. He's a speaker. He's an author. Uh, I guess I probably could have saved some time and just told you what he's not. That would have been quicker. But um, he's more than any of that. He is a wonderful friend. And every time I'm with him, I just learn more and I get all lit up and inspired about all kinds of things. And so uh, every once in a while, we bring him over here into the studio and we just have a conversation about leadership. And sometimes they're just kind of super organic. This one, I got to say, has a little bit of uh, an agenda to it. And that is his brand new book, Turning Point Leadership, uh, From Success to Significance. And I love the difference between those two things. We're going to talk some about it. But it's Turning Point Leadership. Go to Amazon.com and get it. We've got a link on the podcast page for you to go get it. And if you're one of these that doesn't, you know, s- stick around for a whole podcast episode, A, you're going to miss a lot of great stuff if you do that. And B, just in case you have to check out, just go get that book, Turning Point Leadership, Ron Harvey. It's what we're going to talk about today. Ron is always really generous with his content and um generous with his time and just what he does to as he says add value in the world right ron welcome glad you're here man
0: thanks patrick i'm happy to be here and i always enjoy the invitation in the
1: conversation well you've never you haven't turned me down yet so i'm going to keep asking and you know one of these days you say patrick i've been on there enough i don't think i I don't want to make the drive as long as i add value patrick i'll be here (laughs) i know you will i know it and uh this is great uh, what's new in your world what what give give us uh give us a sense of um maybe a a cool project that you're working on or have worked on lately
0: yeah I think the thing that's that's really new for us now is expanding our team um and and me getting out of the driver's seat to do as much as I had to when I first started the business. so being able to delegate is probably what's really new in my world um and let someone else take care of something that's super important so practicing what I've been teaching all these leaders around the country is get out of the way Ron, and, and let somebody else do the work that you normally do.
1: I um, have led a few organizations and I miss it. I I miss the aspect of engaging and delegating and developing and doing all those leadership practitioner things that you do as a leader. I I do miss that. Um, So it's really cool when you get to a place where you're you're now at least able to practice what you're preaching and, Um, and man, I can't imagine anybody doing it any better. So that's cool. Tell us about your team. Tell us a little bit, um, um about global core strategies and consulting and your team today.
0: Yeah. Our, our team, you know, it started with my wife and I, you know, from this, this thing of wanting to make a difference for leaders and, and add value, which, you know, if you ever follow me, you know, those two things I'm always going to talk about is, is adding value to make a difference for someone else that couldn't do it without you. But our team has grown tremendously and in, in, in having people that really, we're the visionaries, but our team has showed up as a vision carrier. Like they're really like, like picturing what we see, and they begin to like do the work to move it forward before we were doing it all. And so our team has has come to the table and say, tell us what it is that you see and let us do the work. you know um, And they're helping us identify people that I think I made mistakes before in the company where you hire people because they needed a job. We started to hire people that had a talent to fulfill that we needed to take care of the people we were serving. And so our team is doing a really, really good job of, of allowing us to move out of the way and stay in the business development portion of it while they begin to deliver
1: the business for us. Well, so I can vouch for that as a sort of peripheral team member. I would yeah. consider myself <laughs> that with you. Um, of course, you're on our advisory board, but you called me up you know, a few months ago and said, look, I'm, I'm working with a nonprofit here in the state and doing some coaching and some development with them. They're also looking to do some strategic planning and we need, you know, we need someone who would be a better fit than, than I am yes. quite honestly in terms of the nonprofit yes. world and called me up and I can completely say what you just described is exactly what I experienced. You said, you, you came to me and said, we need you to do this. And then you didn't micromanage it at all. You just said, man, I got, there's a reason I got him. Yes. This, he, this yes. is what he does. I'm going to get, I'm going to trust him. I'm gonna get out of the way. And I think it's been a cool partner. I hope you think that that's too. I yes. I think it's been a really cool partnership with this, um, this client, because I think they have really gained value out of the team. Uh, you know, it's not just one person and yes. some affirming and some different perspectives, but you, you exactly did that with me it, it, and it's about trust.
0: It's been, it's been phenomenal, Patrick, you know, so just, just to, you know, affirm the fact that, yeah, it's going well, I've appreciated the relationship and the work that we've done together More importantly, the client has loved it, that the fact that they have access to two different people that do things two different ways that adds value to their to their organization and brings them together. We've modeled what we think they ought to be able to do within the organization. And I think that's so important is that, like, can we do what we're asking them and teaching them to do? And they've really benefited from that tremendously. So when you show up, I'm not an expert in the nonprofit world. But I, I know people such as you that are an expert and that I do trust that I know that's going to deliver and, and, and over deliver. And that's going to have a level of excellence that we always want to deliver to the client. So working with you has been fun. It's been enjoyable. And the client has been the business,
1: biggest person to benefit from it. Um, I think I think we, uh, this might sound presumptuous, but it feels like we are drawing out the best in the client. Yes, Yes, I think just even from the beginning of our engagement with them to, to today, and I, I think I think they would agree with this, I would hope is um, I think it has shown that I think they have greater clarity now. Yes. Um, I think they're on a page together now, and I think that they believe in their ability to do some things that before they might not have fully believed even possible for themselves.
0: Yeah, and I think we, we've allowed them to build better relationships and trust with each other. That, that they can have some of the courageous conversations to 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 get done what they really are all there to get done yeah. and I think we've put them in a position where it doesn't have to be combative you know it, we can all get on get on board and we can hold each other accountable but there's a way to do that effectively you know so allowing you know empowering people and trusting people it's probably one of the greatest things that you can do for someone that's on your team is give them the, the space intentionally to be brilliant I mean you're much better at this this strategic planning around nonprofits there's the one thing i i I couldn't do is what you do. And the reason I brought you in is because it's what I needed versus me managing that. I mean, so you're phenomenal at what you do and say, Hey Ron, tell me what you need. I say, Hey, I'm going to stay out your way. Tell me where you need me and where you don't need me. And I think we make a mistake often. We'll tell people what we need, but we won't tell people what we don't need.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And a couple of other concepts come to mind. One is that by, by delegating it to a trusted team member, it keeps your bandwidth free for what you are good at and what you are there to do and stay in your, core competency if you're having to stretch and do something that's not quite you know in in your wheelhouse well it's going to distract a little bit from the wheelhouse so i appreciate that you've done that and
0: i I love that you said something patrick that comes up you said uh, you changed the language it allowed me to stay in my core competency Mm. leaders if you listen to this it's not stay in your lane because that's not well received anymore. Right. But to allow people to stay in their core competency and you stay in your core competency as value to both people. When you say stay in your lane, it's almost like silo type yeah, language.
1: That's right. Yeah. And, and it applies to a team. And if I'm a CEO and I've got a C suite of five people, yes. which a lot of the nonprofits I work with, that's about the size of the organization, yes. you know, f- sort of five senior leaders and then maybe you know 20 or 30 other, you know, people in the organization you don't want to hire five people just like you Absolutely. that have the same, the same strengths and the same comp because you haven't, you haven't created a team that way. You've just created some duplication. Yes. Um, but the idea is to complement yourself with people who do have their own core competencies. I tell C-suite leaders, don't be the resource development director. Yes. Be the CEO of resource development. Absolutely. Like j- like you lead that. Yes. And, and, um, and, and, hopefully, and this was the case when I was in organizational leadership, those people in those positions are way better at what they do than I am at what they do. Absolutely. I think for, for me and my organization, my,
0: the best thing I bring to the team now is giving people space to be their best. You know, at the end of the day, I, I consider myself a people expert versus a subject matter expert on mm-hmm. what happens in my company anymore. Right. Uh, there was a point where I had to be the subject matter expert of, of the things that we were rolling out and delivering. But I really realized that there are people out there that that it changes so fast, that are better at the things that we're delivering. And it's changes fast enough that I need to be really good at at building relationships and building partnerships and understanding what people need and let them bring it to the table. So I tell people all the time, we have a lot of ingredients inside of inside of our organization, but not everybody needs every ingredient.
1: So what you're telling me, Ron, is that you reached a turning point. (laughs) Yes. See what I did there? See that? How about that transition? (laughs) <laughs> love it. So I just read the book. In fact, I read as soon as it came out. I went and got it. I read it. Um, I read it in two days. You can read it in an hour. Yes. I mean, it. I, I love this kind of read. We call this an airplane read. But what I love about it is it might not be a, an airplane read so much because it it will take you deep. Yes. Don't don't let its length <laughs> fool you. I always say that about Ron's work. <laughs> he's he's so, he's succinct is what he is. Um, but I read it, and man, I mean, it's like every page I wanted to highlight and write notes on, and go. It was just like when when we're talking, it seems like every word out of your mouth is this rich nugget. Of, I'm like, I'm capture it. Write a note <laughs> down. That's how I went through your book, and I'm going to start with this, and, and have you just talk about this. Okay. Um, The introduction to the book really gives you the the overall purpose and statement of the book, which is it, tell me if I'm wrong is how I got it, is how I read it is that the turning point as you've called it yeah. is that point when a leader realizes not just realizes, but it, it clicks completely that their leadership is not about them. Absolutely. That it's about someone else. Absolutely. And so the, the, I love the subtitle from success to significance. If it's about success, it's about me, which is good. We want to get to a place You and I run successful, (laughs) you know, uh, uh, consultancies, coaching businesses, and that's great. You want to be successful. Nothing wrong with that. But the turning point is when it moves from I'm a successful leader, coach, trainer, speaker, mathematician, whatever it is, to I am significant now to somebody else yes. for somebody else in the world. I, I have a significance, which just that word says it's beyond me. Absolutely. That's yeah. the, is, do I have it right? That's yeah, the turning yeah, you're,
0: point You're spot on Patrick. I mean, no, f- we all taught early on when, when, whatever it is that we start in, it's about us achieving success and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I think we all want to achieve some level of success in our life, you know, and, and it's hard to become significant if there's no level of success. So I think we work hard at that. You work hard at a degree or you work hard at finishing certain things or starting a project of that's super important because it builds up your ability to keep going and your commitment and, mm-hmm. and, and confidence in your abilities. Then there comes a point for leaders or it did for me. This book is all about when you've achieved all that you ever dreamed of. What's next? <laughs> what do you do after that? If you've achieved the highest level you could achieve in an organization, the CEO, or you've made the money you want to make or 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 you've, you've established things, what's, What's after that? Where do you move the goalpost to next? And what came to me was how do I begin to pay it forward and help other people achieve the things they wish to achieve just by me assisting them a little bit? You know, so in my company, you look at our organization that started my wife and I, we were successful. Then as we became more successful, what became apparent to me is how do I help other people earn a, a, a reasonable income and lifestyle to take care of their families and send their kids to colleges and enjoy their dreams so now it's not about what I do as far as a financial status for my own family. It's about how do I help my community and the people around me be able to take care of their kids and send them to college and, and enjoy their lifestyle. I love the fact that we, we don't have a brick and mortar building, but we have people across five states that help us deliver to our clients. Mm. And, and I'm watching these people take their vacations. I'm watching them send their kids to school. I'm watching them enjoy their dreams. And it's all because I believe in becoming significant and adding value. So I tell everybody in our organization, I want to ensure you get to enjoy the level of success you desire to, to achieve. Tell me what you want being a part of our organization. Yes. you know, And that's important for us. So for me, it's about when that happens, what does it look like and how does it happen? And what do you do intentionally to move from this place of it's about me? And we know right like now in the world today, everybody talks about themselves. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not short on people talking about what they want. I think where we're short at is people talking about how do they help the communities they live in and the people that they encounter and talk to every day. You know, you, you invite me over, I show up to make it significant for you. What what can I give Patrick that he needs me to do? That's not in his space that I can do. that he can't do for himself. So I intentionally always pay attention to how do I add value, make a
1: difference that someone else's life is better. Man, that's good. And the, the thing of it is though, there's a balancing act. There's a, I actually have a, um, a keynote that I did down in Orlando at an event called Success Live, and it it was um, the the core concept was leadership isn't all about you. Yes, but some of it is. Some of it is. <laughs> okay. Yes, yes. At the, some of it <laughs> yes. is because you know we have to develop ourselves. We have to stay sharp. We have to recharge and yes. renew and take care of ourselves. If we don't take care of ourselves, we can't take care of others. It's the old airplane yes. oxygen mask uh, analogy. And so some of it is, and there's a page in your book that I, I want to share. I don't want to share too much content. I want people to read it, <laughs> yes. but, but, um, this to me is where there's an intersection between yes. that turning point of it's about someone else and it's about significance, but it's also about us. And it is, there's four questions you ask in the book. Um, one of, and this, what reminded me of this is when you said people need to be always asking what's next. Yes even if they've achieved, you know, well, I'm, 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 you know, I've got the highest college degree. I'm a CEO of an organization. my family's, you know, I'm empty nest. Like I've done it. I've done it all. i I win. Right. Yes. Well, okay. What's next. So I love these four questions. What are you doing to make sure you're not being complacent?
0: Yes. I mean, and because it's easy. I'm, I'm, guil- oh, I'm guilty of it. You just get comfortable because you're like, I've done it all, you know, and I watch you and, and, and I always said, I remember when you were working on your PhD, and, and you're excited about it. I said, yeah, Patrick, I say, I am super happy and proud of you because that's one thing that takes a lot of dedication. It's almost like you're married to this thing and to watch you continue. And you are successful in my site. We met years ago. And to watch someone that that's at a level that you admire continue, it gives you inspiration that what do you do next so you don't get complacent? So put yourself around people that don't allow you to be complacent.
1: Well, and here's a word to all of the people in our space. You can get complacent in your own talent and system as well in the business and your clients will suffer for that. Absolutely. So I've had to, I've had to, you know, been jarred awake a time or two and go, Hey, you know, next level, dude, like this worked five years ago, this worked 10 years ago, this worked last year, but you got to stay relevant for your clients. You got to stay sharp and you got to get, you have to not have so much confidence in your system that you just rely with blind trust in your own system.
0: Absolutely. I think it's harder to, to become significant or remain in that space. If you get complacent. Yeah. Because you get comfortable and, and people are not watching. I mean, people for me, when they watch me, they want to see how I respond doing adversity. They want to see how I respond when life is changing around us. They want to see how I respond regardless of what client, you know, a partner that we're working with people actually pay attention to, Hey, you do that really, really well. What is it about? I, say, I always make it about other people. Yeah. So right. I don't get complacent in that space That is really about, you know, there's a, an acronym that one of my clients uses. I think it's super helpful for people. Um, and, and I told him I would use it and they use the acronym. Um, it's called pep. And the, and the P is, you know, if you're really going to move to this space is you're going to have to get over your pride, which is the first P the E is, is don't let your ego be destructive. And the second is, can you see a different perspective? And I love it because it's all those things get a lot of people in trouble your pride your ego or your perspective
1: yeah and it's not out of it's it's not because i'm a bad egotistical prideful person yes. it's just that i am human yes and i'm blind spotted i don't realize when those things have gotten in the way um you know one of the things that i see come up a lot with in the ceos that i coach is they're struggling with um leaders in their organization who are themselves complacent yes they're good at what they do but they're complacent and so i get things like man how do i get more out of this person i just can't get them to take the initiative and my first question is are they are you getting from them what you expect to get and they say no that's what i'm saying I, they've got so much more to give and it's okay let me back up have you made it clear to them what you are expecting of them and there's this, there's this pause, right? Uh, what do you, what do you mean? Are they under, perf- like, are they, is there something that's not getting done in the organization because of them? Is there something that's getting done wrong Yes. because of them? Is there, no, it's all good. They're all good at what they, there's nothing wrong. I'm just not getting as much. I think there's more. And what they're dealing with is probably a complacent leader yes. who's just become too comfortable, maybe on the verge of burnout. Yes. They're competent and they mean well, but they've lost the fire. Yes. They've lost the passion and the purpose. And of course, some of the CEOs that I coach will, you know, have struggled with, man, I just, I don't, I don't have the vision and the passion anymore. And there's, there's a fine line, isn't there between complacency and burnout? Yeah. The there is a fine line between
0: complacency and burnout, you know, complacency is where you, you, for me in my mind is complacency is where you've, you've gotten to where you want it to achieve and you stop looking forward. Hmm. Burnout is where you you've gone as as far and as fast as you can and you haven't taken breaks to take care of you. Well, that's good. Yeah, you know. So complacency. I I look at like global core. Like where we at in twenty twenty two? Is is where can we be in twenty twenty six? You know, I'm already looking that for, that far yep. forward. Yep. But I'm also doing practicing the the, the self care. I'm, I'm I'm stepping back and making sure that I don't I don't overload the team or overload myself. To the to the extent we're overload and giving them enough to, to keep them encouraged to keep moving the ball down the field, mm-hmm. I'm gonna do that. So I wanna make sure that I'm doing it at a pace that we can process.
1: Yeah. Let me get to the second question of the four. What are you doing to stretch yourself daily, weekly, monthly, or annually? What are you doing to stretch yourself? And man, this is um I read this. Uh, we we used the word offline a while ago. We used the word indictment. Yes. <laughs> I went. Oops, that got me on this one. Uh, because just like our physical bodies, if we don't work them out, you know, the muscle gets weak. Yes, and and we got to keep we if for no other reason, we got to continue to use the muscle because we we'll, might need it for something. We will need it for something else one day. Yeah. not just for what we're doing right now. Yeah, I look at my mother-in-law. You know, my wife's mom,
0: ninety-two. And I watch her read every day at 92. Did you, every did you say mother in love?
1: Yes. Mother in love. I caught that. Okay. I just yes. wanna tell me, say, <laughs> pause.
0: Yes. Yes. Cause mother-in-law didn't seem like it was like I was embracing it. It, it seemed like it was some language given to me. So I've never heard that. That's yeah. So, cool. so I no, So for, for the relationship that I have, I tell people I call a mom when I'm talking in public, I call a mother in love, you know, because I, it's a really healthy, good relationship. So I don't, like the word in law. Uh, you know? I had to pause. I thought yes. I heard you right. <laughs> yes. And I want to, pa- okay, sorry. So, continue. so she, she reads every day, Patrick at 92 years old, mm. she gets up, she's walking. I mean, no glasses. everybody in my family wears glasses. I'm looking at her reading and doing, you know, and doing word search at 92 to stretch herself. Yeah. You know, she gets up and walks to the table and I'm looking at him like, man, at 92, she says, I'm going to keep moving and I'm going to keep you know doing this thing. So to watch her do that every day, I literally say, then I can continue doing something different to stretch me every day. Mm -hmm. So I know it's not easy at 92, but it's not impossible at 92. I mean,
1: wasn't all that easy at 52. (laughs) I'm I'm hoping I can be that way at 62. Uh, Question three, who do you have in your life? I love this because you and I have talked about how everything's about relationships. Who do you have in your life that can help you strive to be more, do more, and believe more? Be more, do more, believe more. But who do you have in your life that can help you with that?
0: That you'll listen to. I mean, because there are plenty of people that we do know, Patrick, you know, as we're sitting in rooms and and I've said this to you multiple times and all of my relationships are really intentional, but I put people around me that, that will encourage me, um, versus chastise me to be better Mm. because that's a different thing. You know, so I don't want someone coming to me and make me feel like I'm, I, I haven't achieved but also don't want people to think and let me get complacent and not you know, push me a little further. What else could you be doing, Ron? You know, so I can remember the first time we met, like you challenged me to think differently than what I was thinking, my perspective, the pep again. And, and I want people that can encourage me that, that can help me believe more and do more and accomplish more. You got to have people like we use in our community, especially African-American community. We'll use like among men, iron sharpening iron. Mm-hmm. You hear, you know, um, um, African-American men say that all the time. Hey, iron sharpening iron. Mm-hmm. And I think I use that in all aspects of all relationships. How do you make me better? And how do I make you better?
1: Yeah, that's really good. Um, Dr. Marshall Goldsmith, who, uh, I'll probably bring up three or four times in every podcast episode. I'm a big follower and fan. Um, he, he introduced me years ago to a, um, an exercise he goes through with a friend of his, a close friend or colleague and I I kind of describe it. He doesn't describe it this way, but I kind of describe it as his version of the twenty questions game. Yes, but it's with great significance. And and this is, as far as I know, at least as as late as his latest book of, of last year, the uh, uh, an earned life. He was still doing this for years. He right. hasn't missed a day. He gets on the phone with his friend. I, I they don't. I don't think they live. You know. It's, I think it's a phone. It's a distance relationship. And there's a list of questions that he has developed that he has asked his friend to ask him every day. Wow. It's the same set of questions every day. The questions don't change every day. And I don't know if he yeah. has shared the actual questions. I don't think he has, not that I've seen, but we, I did it with a, a, a colleague, actually an, an employee of, yes. of mine. When I was leading a, a, a local United way, we did this thing where let's, let's ask, a certain number of questions. So the way it would work is I, I would ask, you would hand me your list and let's say your list has, Ron, how much exercise did you do get yesterday? Wow. How much physical exercise did you get yesterday? Another one might be, um, what did you do to add value to any particular individual intentionally yesterday? Or what do you intend to, you know, something I I think most of them were about the past. Yes. So that you kind of, it's this accountability, the fact that you just have to answer the question. Yes. Now the rule is I can't judge you. I can't come back and say, Ron, you know, four days in a row now you've told me you've not gotten any exercise. Yes. That's not very good. Do you want to take this question off the table? It doesn't sound like it's very important. It's not a coaching exercise. It's just strictly no judgment. It's just someone that you have to look in the eye or talk on the phone and answer the question. It's safe. Yes. But it, what made me think about it is you, you're talking about not being chastised.
0: Yeah. I, th- I think for, for us, one thing that we, we don't do, you know, you know, a couple of things that as we talk about partnership or accountability, you know, the one thing in our business, I've had the same accountability partner for about six years. Every Monday morning we talk at seven o'clock every Monday with the same premises of the questions mm-hmm. with no judgment, yeah. Um, but I don't know if we put ourselves in a situation, Patrick, often enough to reflect. Because we're so quick to move to the next thing and want to accomplish the next thing. And so when you pause and say, how much exercise did you do? Who did you really help or add value to? It allows me to begin to enjoy the work I've done. It's a forced pause. It's a forced pause. And I don't know if we forced pauses enough because the world is moving so fast. Yeah, it's like we get don't. to the next thing.
1: <laughs> We don't, we don't force pause enough. Yeah. It's why coaching is so powerful. I mean, when my clients express, man, this is, this is really helpful. This, you know, thank you. It's like, I think all I gave you was an hour of pause button Yes, where you have to stop and think about this stuff. Yes. Um, and use the word accountability. And this is another thing I have to keep bringing up. Um, fairly recently, I've really come to see accountability differently. Okay. It's a compound word. Yes. Account and ability. Yes. It's an ability. Yes. It's not a detriment. It's not a punishment. It's not a consequence. Yes. We said, well, I'm going to hold you accountable. Right? That's what we, that's what's kind of usually how we use, you know, who's going to hold you accountable or I'm going to hold you accountable. That sounds like if you don't do it, there's a stick at the end. Yeah. You know, right. Consequence. But accounting requires ability. Yes. So. Instead of saying, "I want to hold my team accountable," what if we said, "I want to help my team account"? Wow! Yes, it's, it's an ability. It, yeah, it's it's a different it's a different response and a different way of of looking and getting work done. That's what an accountability yes. partner. When you when you said, "I have an accountability partner every Monday morning," that person is helping you be a better accountant. Of, of nope. your commitments Absolutely. and your, your desires and your, your objectives and goals and values. Yeah. Some, someone to help you be better at that accounting, not someone to hold you accountable to it. Yeah. And I think that's why it's worked for so many years with her, you know,
0: that when we come on, we have that mindset of what you're saying is someone that, that helps me get better at being, you know, to some account of what the abilities are. So I love that, that I think we've been doing it, but we just haven't looked at it the way you looked at it. So it puts a different spin because holding people accountable doesn't always feel good.
1: Mm -mm. It doesn't even sound good. No,
0: it's like, okay, I'm, 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 I'm I'm the person here's the, the, here's where you got to pass this threshold. And if you don't pass it, here's, here's what I'm going to say to you next. And I
1: don't think people are going to enjoy that every day. Right. That's right. Let me get to the fourth question. What could you accomplish in life if you did a little more than you're doing now? Wow. A little more. Not yes. what could you accomplish if you'd had this big, you know, 10 X, I'm a fan of 10 yes. X too, yes. but you know, what could you do if you just transformed everything you did? No, nope. What could you accomplish if you just did a little more? Yeah. Know know that, where does this question come from? Yeah.
0: That comes from aviation field. You know, and I th- when I think of like a, a, a airplane traveling, Patrick, if you change the coordinates by one digit, mm-hmm. where would you really land? And people think it takes, you know, you know, two digits or three digits or double digits, if you change the coordinates in an aircraft by one digit, not only will you not land on the runway you should, you may not land in the state that you should by one digit. And and, and that's so important. You know, I have a military background and i served in artillery. One digit will have rounds land in a place that they're not supposed to. That one digit can put us in harm's way. Little things matter. Little things really matter. And in your business and in your relationships and your conversations and helping the people that you serve, little things matter more than the things that everybody's paying attention to it's the little thing that makes the biggest difference
1: Mm. you know i'm i this isn't this isn't to call this particular but i I think of the of the iconic book don't sweat the small (laughs) stuff yes and i get it and there's a whole different you know we there's a there's a great value in that concept but but yeah kind of kind of sweat the small stuff i mean golf is the same way one degree of angle change on your driver head when it hits the ball one degree of angle change I think, I don't remember the number, I think like 20 yards yes. or something like, like you're all, you're going to be off the fairway. Yes. Um, little things. My oldest brother was, um, in the military and then spent the rest of his career working for the military. And he did, um, he was, a he did metrology and calibration yes. and he worked on like weapon systems on the F 16, you know, fighter yeah. jet. You can't, you know, details matter when you're you're talking about firing a missile. And he was given a commander's coin that he passed down to me when he passed away. He was given a commander's coin, one of those challenge coins you get that said, and it was a recognition coin in this case. And it said the right data in the right place at the right time, every time. Yes. The right data in the right place at the right time, every time. Yes. (laughs) Every time that consistency, that commitment to excellence but a little more, what could you accomplish with just a little more? I mean, that, that made me think about, you know, my own, my own work, my own business with just, just a little more. I think, I think, I also think it keeps it achievable.
0: Yeah. You know, you don't have to, as a, you know, you don't have to eat a whole elephant in, in one sitting. Yeah. So that one little thing, what would it do? You know, we're closing out the year, you know, we're, we're going to wrap up 2022. Mm-hmm. What's the one little thing you can do to make sure you kickstart 2023? And I'm sure they're, they're, you know, my wife, and when it was on the way over here, my wife would, you know, call me. She said, yeah, I just got these three questions from my daughter, you know, and it talks about what do I like and what do I dislike? And I say, yeah, I'd probably answer those you no know, faster than you could. She said, really? I say, yeah. And I just start rambling them off. She say, wow. She said, like, you really pay attention to the little things. I say, that's that's
1: really what I enjoy is watching the little things. You just changed the narrative for New Year's, though. And I love it. It's not a new year's resolution. It's a question that says what one thing could make a difference could make 2023 a little better than 2022. Yes. Just a little, just a little, what one one, one thing could make that better. Um, let me, I'm going to move quickly and I don't want to, I can't cover the whole book obviously, (laughs) but there's a few things in here that just really rang my bell. Um, you've got a chapter on, um, on building character and you use used a phrase in here that we've used at LSI a lot too. And you've heard maybe uh, Dr. Jim Smith say this, but uh, m- make sure your audio matches your video. So, you know, we watch TV and we see, we get really upset if it's a little out of sync, <laughs> yes. right? The, the, <laughs> yeah, the mouth is not quite with it. Um, but it can be really bad where it just, what I'm hearing is not what I'm seeing. It's like I'm watching two different, it's like I'm watching two different things. Um, it, I think it's self-explanatory, but I'd love your perspective on what does that mean to say my audio matches my video?
0: Yeah, I, I think it erodes trust. The,
1: the, if, when it, if when it doesn't yeah, match. Yeah, when it doesn't match.
0: And, and so what we're watching at a time now where we're at the probably the lowest level of trust in society that I've experienced across all of society, regardless of what organization, trust is a challenge. And the minute that what you say doesn't match what you do, quite honestly, your video is louder than your audio now. People watch what you do. Here, here's what I, I use when I'm in rooms, Patrick. I say, people listen to what you do and they watch what you say. And people stop and pause like, wait, say that again. I say, people listen to what you do That's good. and watch what you say. Because what you do is so much louder now than what you say out of your mouth. And so if you don't have those in, in, in alignment, like a strategic plan, if they're not aligned, you're never going to accomplish what you really It's hard to be significant when I can't pay attention to what you say in what you do in alignment—it's hard to become significant. Yeah.
1: Do, you, do you do you remember the comedian Stephen Wright? Yes, yeah, it is real. it is real. All these little one-liners. Yes. he said, "I used to sit around and read music while I'm listening to audio books." Yes. That's that's the kind of the the comedic way of saying, "Listen, l- what did you say? Listen to what you do and watch what you say." Yes, that's great. That's so great. Um, man, there's so many other things. I I, j- I tell you, I wrote this in the middle of the book. I wrote this is just in the middle. I was like, okay, I I don't even need to read. I did read the rest of it, but in the middle of it, I just thought this book is really about be better. Yes, do better. Yes. I mean, it's just that's what this yes, you can do more. Do, it, there's more. Be better. Yeah, and I think that's the
0: point for me. I'm always working on that. I'm always challenging people that are around me. I tell people. You know, if you don't, if you don't really want to achieve excellence, you know, I'm probably not a a great person, you know, to, to be a friend with, because I do hold my friends to a higher standard of achieving more, you know, because I think at the end of the day, people are looking for people that believe in there's always a little bit more that you can do and they'll help you get there. Mm. You know, and I think that's where my role is now. when I look at our organization is that excellence is is not, is something that you can achieve, but you can't achieve it by yourself and people are going to need your help. I didn't really get to where I am without people like you around that, that would say my name in a room, Patrick, sometimes that I'm not in. And, and I, and, right. and, and that's important for me to say, who's going to say my name in a room that I'm not in because of what I've done for them or what I've shown them and who I am as, as my character or my ability to deliver or my trustworthiness. I will tell you that global core successful because of people saying our names in rooms that we, we didn't even have access to at times. Yeah, Nobody knew us. They weren't aware of our work. But because of the way we showed up and we just did a little bit more, and, and this saying, I I'd never liked the saying, and people still use it, you know, over-promise over and under-promise you know, under, under and over-deliver. Right. I, I said, that's called lying. <laughs> I say, just promise everything that you can do and give them more. I do believe in over-delivering but I don't want to underpromise just to make myself look good. I don't Mm -hmm. want someone to tell me, yeah, I can do this. And they know that they can actually do more
1: set the goal so low that, you know, you can hit it. I've
0: never been a fan of that. I actually felt like it was, it was being deceitful.
1: Mm.
0: You know, if you can, if you can do 90, tell me you can do 90. And if you give me 91, that's, that's a cherry on top of it.
1: You know, that is part though, Ron, of what makes you have such high trust in yourself. Yes. And, and one of the things I've, I've noted about you and noticed about you in the time that we've gotten to know each other is you live your values. I mean, I hear you say things and they rattle off the brain, like, you know, just totally natural. Yeah. And, and what I've learned about you is some people do that because they're they' They have silver tongues. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and some people do it because it's just, it's so ingrained in who they are and what they do. You've got a, a section in here on trust, for example, and part of what you wrote is it reminded me of self-trust. And I know you've read Covey's framework for trust. And when we do trust metrics in organizations, you ask, you ask two questions about several stakeholder groups. Question one is what in what level is your confidence in this person's character? Yes. Their motive. And question two is what level of confidence do you have in this person's competence or ability? Well, one of the stakeholder groups is self. Yes. Yes. How much, and you know, when we pause to ask someone, how much do you trust yourself, your own character, and your own motive? And this, we could go into the, this goes into emotional intelligence and how people, how aware people even are of their motivations. Yes. Many people aren't, they don't even know what is driving them. They just haven't paused to think about it. Yes. Or they don't know themselves well enough. And in the emotional intelligence assessment that we do in the psychometric, there is one section out of, I think, 30 elements that are scored that's called, uh, trustworthiness, uh, trustworthiness. And I forget the word that goes along with it. And oftentimes a leader will see that they rated low in trustworthiness and they look at that and they go, man, this is bad. People don't trust me. And I have them read it closer. This is the section of emotional intelligence about your self-awareness. This is how much do you trust yourself? to follow your values, to follow through, to have everything from discipline and self-control to consistency and living out your values. But I'm just going to read a quick section out of your book here. Um, you were talking about uh, uh, a, a leader in the military saying, uh, going on to say that leadership is risky no matter what, but it is almost impossible to lead when you lose trust. And you say in the book, my mentor said you're ultimately responsible for taking care of them. And they're counting on you to do the right or, and best thing at all costs. He never gave me an answer on what to do. However, he did say never lose trust of the people that you have been entrusted to take care of. And in, when I read that paragraph, I heard, I heard trust at three levels, yes. his trust in you because yes. he never gave you the answer on what to do. You're trusting yourself because he never gave you the answer yes. <laughs> to yes. what to do. And uh, actually four dimensions, your people's trust of you yes. because you're consistently there for them, uh, no matter the cost. And finally, uh, your trust in your people. Yes. Four four different dimensions there in one paragraph that I heard in trust. Trust goes in many different directions. Yeah, it's, it's amazing for, for me, Patrick. You know, when you start thinking about, you know, what does it cost
0: you when people don't trust you? And 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 it costs a lot and people always want, you know, when I, when I'm in rooms and I'm talking to people, I say, everybody wants to be trusted, but people don't want to pause and, and, and the, the pause button again and say, what makes me trustworthy? And it's not your title. It's not right. your degree, it's not right. your position. It's not the office you sit in. And I don't know if we pause long enough, say what makes me trustworthy and do the real work mm-hmm. and come up with some things to understand why do people trust you? Because if if you can define those, you can wash and re- wash, rinse and repeat those. Yeah,
1: that, and it's intentional, and it's it's. And one way that I like to go about it is to think about the people that I trust, yes. and ask myself, why do I trust them? Yes. What is it about them that you know? Uh, I think of people like you. Is it why? Why do I trust Ron? Yes, and I do. Yeah. and there are reasons because it's not because of how I show up. Although one of the behaviors that Covey gives is extend trust. (laughs) Absolutely. So so I extend it, but, but you haven't, you know, you don't, you don't let it down. You show up consistently, you, you know, all the things that we're talking about. So, man, I I really love that. Yeah. I think it's important too, Patrick. And this
0: may, for, for some of the leaders that are listening, what I've learned really early as a young leader, when you take over an organization, you have to give trust away to the people that, that, that you're responsible for immediately. You have to trust them without, you know, telling them they have to earn it. Here's the, the hard part for most leaders. You're going to have to earn every ounce of trust you get because the people that are following you are going to say, we hear you, but we're going to see what you really do, which means that we don't trust you yet. Now we don't distrust you, but you haven't earned it yet. So yep. leaders will have to earn trust and they're going to have to give trust away, you know? So, and I learned that really, really quick in, in my time of deployment where I'm, you know, leading an organization and say, Hey, you've earned it. I literally have people say, no, we trust you because you've earned it. And it clicked for me like, no one's going to give it to you as a leader. You're going to earn every ounce of trust you get.
1: Yeah. People start at different, they have their own default. Yes. So there are people that walk in and say, I trust you until you give me a reason not to. Yes. There are other people who come in and say, I don't trust you until you earn it. Yes. Like it's in reverse. <laughs> yes. And I look at it kind of like a Likert scale where, you know, you have this one to five scale where three is kind of a zero. Yes. 1 and 2 are negative numbers. You're you're deficient if you're scoring a 1 or 2 on a 5-point scale. Yes. So, to me, the default level of trust is a 3. Yes. Right? You walk in with a 3. You can quickly get to a 1 or 2 and you can less quickly get to a 3 of uh, get to a four or, 4 or 5. Yeah. You can get to 1 or 2 more quickly than you can get to a 4 or 5. Distrust happens faster. You also mentioned cost. Some of that cost is sometimes that cost is not recoverable.
0: I agree hundred percent. There's sometimes people are, we're less forgiven. Let's just be real. We're real, real honest about society is less forgiving for mistakes today, hmm. but the more I trust you, the more forgiven I am. Yep. That's, yeah. that's just yeah. the way it works. I mean, that's if I right. trust you, I'm going to be more willing to to forgive because I, I I understand your character and your behavior and I'll give you, I'll, I'll extend credit to you a little faster when that's I trust That's
1: interesting you. because I think a lot of people, it seems like come at that very differently. They'll come at it and say, man, I trusted you so much. I had such a high level of trust in you and you let me down of all people, right? You hear that, of all people. Yeah. I never expected you to let me. And so the cost is higher in some cases. I like your approach better. Yes. If I've earned that trust, then it's like a credit score.
0: Yes, it really is. And you you hear me say that all the time for people. That the closer we are and the more I know, because life happens, nobody's perfect. But if, if I trust you, I will give you the benefit of the doubt. I say, you know what, Patrick? I know this is not how you behave. I know this is not what you're doing and you just had a bad day at it. Hey, tell me what we're going to, what we're going to do. And I'll lean in real quick. What what are we going to do to make sure we don't have to encounter this again? Mm-hmm. But if I don't trust you, I'm going to think the worst. Yeah. Automatically. That's how my brain is wired. If yep. I don't trust you, I'm going to say, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this fundamental attribution error. Well, you never really cared. You never really gave me your best. And I started putting all the negative connotation attached to you really quick. If I don't trust you, mm-hmm. if I trust you,
1: I'm going to think positive real quick. Man, that's good. And so here's a question I like to ask people too. What's the number one reason people don't trust other people? I will say from my experience is from past experiences. A, a right.
0: lot of times they, they I call it the, 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 the airport syndrome. Everybody's walking through the airport with a carry on now. Every, nobody wants to check a bag. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but but those, those bags are packed with stuff that you don't even notice in those bags. So when, when people show up in your organization or you get into relationships, People have this luggage that they're bringing along with them Mm -hmm. that you're not sure what it is and it may not be in your favor and it may be in your favor. But I think most times people are judging you based on their past relationships or experiences and they continue anything that reflects or feels similar to that. They attach it to you real quick. Yeah.
1: And so I don't think it has a lot
0: to do with me. Oftentimes it's something that that that's there that I don't know. And I do a lot of coaching and people say, hey, we trust you. I say, what is it about me that that makes you trust me? Something about my character reflected on someone else that they did trust a lot. Mm. They say, you reminded me of, of this person and the way you carry yourself. Yeah. In, and, and so I extended it to you because it reminded me so much of that. Well, the same thing in a negative way.
1: If you remind me of something negative, I automatically attach something to you. Well, you just gave me a new way to ask the question I just asked, because what I said was, what's the number one reason someone wouldn't trust someone else? Yes. The The question you answered, I think was, what's the number one reason a person distrusts yes. somebody? Yes. Okay. And that is from past experience. Yes. The research actually on this is incredible. The re- the research says, so like to get, fr- to get from a three to a two on that Likert scale yes. would require some past experience. Yes. I distrust you because you've given me a reason to distrust you. Absolutely. But if I'm stuck at a three, what's the number one re what's the number one thing that will keep me from getting to a four and the research on this is so simple it's like over simple and really powerful and it's that i can't trust you if i don't know you that is absolutely true Patrick. it's the number one reason yep. i can't trust somebody is well i don't know him yet well, do you trust dr so i don't know he's never i've never i've never he's never treated me he's never i don't know He. Maybe, uh, I don't know the first thing about him. I don't know his reputation. I don't know his, his Yelp score. I don't know. I know nothing about him. (laughs) And we, the, where I learned this was actually an institutional trust. Um, United way did a United way worldwide did a trust metric a number of years ago. And, um, you know, trust was at a certain level high actually. And I think it was in the eighties and of those that didn't, that didn't say they trust or have a high level of trust when asked why by far like 85 to 90% of those that didn't say they trust them. The reason was I don't know much about them.
0: Yes. Yeah. And I have to say, yes, I agree with that. A hundred percent is, is that oftentimes people don't trust what they don't know. Yeah. I mean, so that's important. The other thing I would say, you know, for leaders that are listening to us, Patrick, you know, you think of trust. One of the things that's going to be required for you to build trust, especially for leaders is vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And and leaders struggle at being vulnerable. Like most leaders I know really struggle at saying, I don't know how to do this. Um, I'm not good at this. You know, like they don't, we struggle at exposing ourselves to be vulnerable because we know people are going to judge. But I will tell you that in our organization, I'm I'm pretty vulnerable. You know, I'm pretty transparent. I say, Hey, I do know that. Hey, I don't know that. Hey, I messed that up. I will tell you, if you really want to build trust really, really quick, you know, and and you look at at Charles Feltman or Renee Brown, when they talk about the definition of trust, it talks about being vulnerable with something, making a, a conscious decision to be vulnerable with something, someone else's actions to something important to you. Trust requires you to be vulnerable to, to someone else's actions. Like when you go in, and you come on board with us and, and you help us out tremendously. I totally trust that you're going to do the right thing. And, and I don't get to make the next decision on how you're going to do it. I haven't given any, hey, do A, B, C and D. And I don't I don't want to. I don't desire to. If, if I was going to do that, then I should be able to do it myself. Yeah, I f- completely trust you, and I'm vulnerable with the
1: decisions that you make. We're both vulnerable because you're vulnerable by bringing someone else in with it, with your client, yes, and 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 someone who's going to have an impact on your brand and yes. your reputation. Yes. I'm vulnerable for kind of the same reasons um, because we're co-branding, yes, okay, and and because if I fail you, there's tremendous. Uh, um, ramification for that. So there's vulnerability on both sides, absolutely. But we go into that. We yeah. went into that. Go, you know, asking questions. You yeah. know, so how do you show me your template for how this proposal is yes. going to be, and how are we going to mix this up, and how yeah. you know we ask those questions to mitigate that vulnerability. It's not that vulnerable. Oh, let's be mm-hmm. as vulnerable as we can. It's that we want to mitigate our our weak spots. Yes. So that we're not as vulnerable, but to do that. You can't be afraid to be vulnerable yeah you can't be afraid to be vulnerable
0: and, and, and in the book it talks about leadership is risky yeah it's always risky oh yeah um, and i think for us when we walk into those rooms here's what i always say whatever i'm bringing someone in who do i bring to the table for my clients to get the best results and oftentimes it doesn't have to be ron harvey mm-hmm. i'm always asking every every time i'm in there who do i need at the table who who, who is better at this can explain this better than me. I'm asking that with every one of our partners and I'm okay with that because, you know, I tell my clients I I actually bring people in I co-partner with people to deliver to them. I want them to have the best result.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's it. At the end of the day, Um, we'll, we'll close this out here in a second. Um, I, when I think of trust, you know, again, one of one of Covey's concepts is smart trust. Yes. Yeah. You want to trust people. You want to extend trust, but not blindly. and Absolutely. not, not stupidly. And I always think about my third grade elementary school teacher. His name was Mr. Fincher. One of the, one of the best teachers and people in my life. I just, I unbelievable. Mr. Fincher had a classical or folk guitar. One of the nylon string guitars you could play like classical or Latin, or you could play some folk songs on it. <clears throat> and he would bring it to school and he would sit around a circle and he'd sing some old songs and, and uh, teach us some things. And I was learning how to play the guitar at the time because my family grew up, you know, in yes. music and, you know, my dad had a guitar my brother played the guitar and, you know, my sister played and, um, but he taught me some too. Problem was I didn't have a guitar to practice on. So guess what he did? He loaned me his classical folk guitar. Wow. And guess what I did? I left it out in the rain and ruined it at my house. Left it out in the rain, was playing it outside on the back patio, got distracted. I'm in the third grade, got distracted, playing around, left it out there overnight and just the, the moisture in the air ruined the guitar. And I remember my dad saying, you know, he, he wasn't happy that I had borrowed the guitar to begin with. And I said, "Daddy he insisted. Like he was like, he told me he was okay with it. So we go to the school, dad offers to pay, you know, we, we're going to buy you a new guitar. Mr. Fincher said, you are absolutely going to do nothing of the sort because that warped guitar is on me. Because I trusted a third grader essentially, <laughs> right? That was my call. Yes. That wasn't your call. It wasn't even his call. I wanted him to take it. I pay that price, not you. Yes. And man, I mean, there were so many lessons wrapped up in that. It could could have been handled a number of different ways and, you know, all right. But I've always respected how he took that and said, no, I didn't trust all that smartly. Yes. But I'm the one who did the trusting. Yes. And I'm not going to hold this against you or him. So people. It's just like you said, life happens. Nobody's perfect. He got that. I was in the third grade Not you know, he probably shouldn't have lent his classical full guitar <laughs> yes. to a third grader. Um, but it's, it actually strengthened our relationship to do that. And that's that, that's some of that vulner. That's that risk taking you're talking about.
0: Yeah. I think, I think that's where you really get to, to get things done that you can't do by yourself. You know, when mm. you build up that, that bond, like still to this day, you remember that as your best teacher. Mm you know, that, that thing that you've learned from that. And and when you started talking about moving from success to significant at that moment, it was a significant move he made for you. Mm-hmm. It, it He gave you something that you couldn't have learned in, in, in class that wasn't even his responsibility for, to teach to you. Right. He became significant to the day that you're still talking about a yeah. lesson learned. So I'll ask all leaders, where is that moment that you're doing something to, to really change the course of someone's life that, that it wouldn't be
1: changed had you not done what you did. Yeah. Mm, that's so great. Um, Back to Marshall Goldsmith, um, he his book "An Earned Life" highly recommended f- to anyone any leader who hasn't read that. It's his latest work, and he talks about the difference between what it is you want to do in life and who it is you want to be. Yes, in life. Yeah,
0: yeah, and and and, and I watch you do this. We we're we we're in a workshop, and you talk about you ask organizations all the time. You know, what wh- what is it? what 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 do you stand for as an organization yeah and most people always tell you like what's your why and they kept answering the what question
1: right and right.
0: i think that's important in life and that was phenomenal I'm like, like wow i said you actually people when you ask them the why most people I, we watched in that room they always told us what they did mm-hmm. and i think we get caught up in that as as people oftentimes like what's our why versus what we do in life yeah we do a lot of stuff but what's your what's your real purpose yeah and i think that's for me as as life continues to To change for me. I'm beginning to clearly understand, you know, my purpose
1: in life. He has an he he has an illustration that says, if you had an index card that you could carry around with you for the rest of your life to remind you of one thing, what would you put on the index card?
0: Yeah, for me, Patrick, it's really easy. Just make a difference. Make a
1: difference. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's what I've always you know, for all of my life, if you go back and ask everybody. So that's that what knows, your
1: wife's talking about when she says, yes. you're so quick to answer those questions. Yes. It was because you just, they're in there. Yeah.
0: They're it, just, they're part of you. It's a part of who I am. I mean, all of my life from the time that I can remember when I started remembering my life, I always wanted to do something to make a difference. I, I mean, I served in the military because of it. You know, I went for college money, but I wanted to go to a country. I wanted to do certain mm-hmm. things. I wanted to do stuff. I just wanted to always make a difference, you know, and and now it's come full circle that everything that I do, the entire company, if you look at our website, Just make a difference. Yeah. The first book, just make a difference. I always challenge myself. Like, what are you doing? That's going to make a difference.
1: Not for you, but for the person that's in front of you. Man, that's it. Well, his, what he would have put on his index card, I tried and maybe this is because I read his before I thought about mine, (laughs) but I can't think of a better. I liked, I like his. So I've, I've kind of embraced this. His was, am I being the person I want to be right now? Wow. Yes. And I have paused on that one. I don't, I don't physically carry the index card around, but there have been moments when I've had to say, Whoa, wait a minute. Pause. Yes. Am I being the person? And this is in every situation with with your family in a moment with a client on stage at doing a keynote, you know, reading a book, whatever it is. Am I being the person I want to be right now? And I've caught myself saying No. Yeah, I think I've done it too, Patrick. I mean, and you've watched me, you know, um, do workshops
0: and, and love to have you in the room. And I can be on stage in the middle of something and people will stop me and ask a question that 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 wasn't prepared. It wasn't it was just like just be be natural. Mm. And I would answer the question in real time and people would come up and say, you just changed the entire way I see life. Because I'm willing to be vulnerable and meet them where they are.
1: Because you weren't doing in that moment. Yeah. You were being I was just
0: being in that moment. Yeah. And what a big difference.
1: Anything else you want to say about the book?
0: Yeah. I, I will tell people I, I enjoyed writing the book. Um, and, and I want to be able to say that for this book, if this is the first time I've really begin to start opening up. So as you read the book, you're starting to watch me open up more. Mm-hmm. I was very, very close to a chest with a lot of my information. This book, I'm really starting to talk about my life and my journey mm-hmm. and I never have. So if, yeah. if you really want to start really understanding me, this book, I started doing that and I'm getting more comfortable with that to really share all the life experiences and my journeys of of what you see standing in front of you or or who's shown up. This book really starts to open up who Ron Harvey is.
1: It does, but it doesn't do it in an egotistical way. Like this book is not, trust me, this book is not about Ron Harvey. It really isn't. Um, You do tell some stories that help us understand where this principle comes from for you and why it's such a deep uh, meaning for you. But um, folks get the book, get the first one, uh, just make a difference and then get this turning point leadership book. It's fantastic. Ron, I I just can't thank you enough um, for who you are in my life and um, always being generous, always adding value. Uh, and one last and, thing, and being Patrick, who
0: you are. One last thing, I'll tell everybody to pay attention. Patrick and I are going to do a book, so I'm going to put that on
1: the table so we can live up to it. We don't know when, but we're going to do a book together. Oh, he just put it out there. <laughs> ooh, ooh. You know, I did that, uh, Ron, with my first book. I had a, I kept wanting to write it. And so I had an opportunity to do a, a co-authoring book with, with Marshall Goldsmith, yes. as a matter of fact, and Jack Canfield and some others. And I wrote in my bio, they, they, they said, "You got send us a bio that we can put in the book. And the book was releasing in the fall of 2017. And so I put, well, no, the book was going to release in the spring of 2018. Yes. But it was, uh, we had to have all our stuff in in the fall of 2017. So when I submitted my bio, I put that I was the author of strategic fail why nonprofit strategic planning fails and how to fix it. Yes. I hadn't written it yet. <laughs> yes. And I knew the book was going to be published. It was going to be a bestseller. This was, this had Jack Canfield, Marshall Gold. Gull- I mean, this had names and my bio said, I wrote this book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I published the book in February of 2018 and had it done. Cause I put it out there. Yes, so thank I, you. Yes. You just pushed us. Yes. We yes. are working on a book. Yes. It just started. <laughs> yes. Thanks Ron. Thanks Patrick. Pleasure. Lead on, lead on folks.